Tennis Podcast. My name's Courtney Walsh. I'm a tennis writer for the Australian newspaper. And I'm Paul Rowbottom, tennis coach and administrator. Administrator. How are you, Courtney? Very good, Paul. How are you? Very good, mate. Very good. It's been a big week in tennis. It has been. And uh, look, this week we're going to be talking about what's been happening around the world. The tennis circuit returned to Monte Carlo, the start of the clay court swing, and what a week it was. We had Novak Djokovic beaten by a bloke outside the top 50 for the first time since 2010 in Nigeria Vesely. By the end of the week, though, the major story, I think, of the clay court season, Rafa Nadal had served notice that his Grand Slam glory may yet be within reach again. He's back. His final against Gail Monfils was terrific, but we'll discuss that further. Uh, elsewhere, many of the leading women were playing in the Fed Cup ties around the world. What happened? Yeah, so Australia played the US in Brisbane and, um, uh, you know, ended up being a disappointing week for Australia with the US uh, trumping the host nation um, despite the absence of their three highest ranked singles players. Um, elsewhere, Czech Republic and France progressed to the final in November. Um, and, uh, yeah, and some, and some uh, news about Annie Murray. Yeah, off the court, uh, after getting beaten by Rafa Nadal, uh, the Scottish player put anti-doping or doping back on the agenda and received some criticism from a surprising quarter. Well, again, we'll discuss that later. Uh, Paul, we'll give a tip of the podcast. What, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, it's going to be clay-specific. Okay. Uh, just because, you know, we're, that's what we're talking about. This is where the tour is at. Perfect. And we're going to be um, looking at um, players with uh, extreme forehand grips and how to play them. Outstanding. Now, in terms of the Aussie watch, uh, I think the main one for this week is that Bernard Tomic will return to the court in Bucharest after, uh, I suppose, almost a month off with the wrist injury that's been hampering, hampering him all year, but we'll talk about that a little later. And finally, uh, Paul, tell me about Torben Ulrich. You'll be discussing this in your uh, Tennis in Pop Culture segment. Yeah, Torben Ulrich um, has, has strong strong ties, to say the least, to uh, the band Metallica, and we'll, um, we'll address that at the end. Okay. As we said, though, the, uh, the news for the week on, on the line is out. The main topic was Nadal in Monte Carlo. we? He did it in style in a star-studded field. The only player missing from the top ten was Kane Shikori. Now, early on in the week, I'm not sure if you saw this match, but it was fabulous. He played the young gun, Dominic Time, who's won a couple of tournaments already this year. Mm-hmm. He had him under sustained pressure in the first set. I think Nadal saved 14 of 15 break points. And it was a fabulous match. Time had time and time again had opportunities. He then was too good for a disinterested Stan Marinka. We see that occasionally with Marinka. He just didn't didn't tune in for the quarterfinal. He out-toughed Murray in the uh, in three sets in uh, in the semi-final. Murray was very good early in that match, but uh, again proved too good. And then in the final, well, fantastic against Gael Monfils. They they split sets before uh, Nadal ran away from it when the last six, six sets his love. Now he's. In Barcelona this week, he's a top seed. Um, but I suppose for us, what what does this triumph mean for Nadal? Ninth ninth time he's won Monte Carlo. Yeah, uh, I think it brings the French Open right, uh, you know, right back on, um, right back into uh, our thinking of for him to to win it. So he's aiming for a tenth one now. Do you yes. think also with? I mean, what does it mean for Djokovic? He's still seeking that first. Yeah, French I, Open title. Do we, do, should we be worried about that first result? Or I mean, he played Jerry Vesely, who's a very talented lefty, young Czech who uh, yeah. has a lot of potential. Should we be worried about that, or is it just a you know first time on clay for the season? 
Yeah, maybe first time on clay for the season. Um, but we're dealing with a confident Nadal now. His, um, you know, his his his, his belief on clays has been, um, you know, has been confirmed. Basically, in that match, I think against Time, I was watching that, and he was able to get through that first set. I think, you know, yes. Time got the first one, the Austrian will, then you, then the question marks come. But he fought so hard in that. To me, it looked like his forehand was back. Yeah. Which again, that's been that's been a sign where he's been off his game. He's been spraying some, particularly particularly wide. And he looks a lot a lot more at home on the clay as far as his positioning on court. I agree as well. Um, you know, as opposed to uh, you know where he's struggling on the faster services, doesn't get caught out so much on the clay, obviously, and and can um, you know dictate play with um, you know with with the high high loopy uh, topspun uh, ground strokes. The I suppose the big issue is his ability to sustain it over five sets, which he clearly done so well in the past. Now, yeah, I think the strong signs that I saw for him against Murray in that semi final. You know, he was well beaten early. Murray was all over him. Then Rafa sort of roared back in the second, and by the third, had him, you know, had him shot. Monfils and Nadal was just a fantastic final shot making that you wouldn't believe the Frenchman. It's a real wild card in clay. His issue was always that it was going to be the fitness and the consistency. Yeah, yeah. He's had a bit. I think he's had his most consistent year on tour. But being able to uh, sustain that over five sets, he can't do. By the third set, he was shot. But Rafa finished so strongly there. Mm. I think that's a really strong pointer that he uh, that you know in five weeks' time, if he's in these tough situations, he's been able to see it out in you know in Monte Carlo. He's been able to finish strongly. Yeah, he's right back in the game. Oh, definitely, definitely, and to even um, I like I would even back him if he was just making semis and finals of clay court um, uh, clay court tournaments, but to actually to actually win one. To actually win Monte Carlo, you know, one of the biggest clay court tournaments in the world, you know, um, shows that his focus is back. You know, you can you can run around and hit a ball, but you have to keep your concentration. You have to be able to sustain your um, performance uh, for the whole tournament. And he's you know come through a couple of hard wins, but you know in the end he's really come up trumps and um, yeah through some as I said through some really hard matches. Look, just quickly uh, before we move on to our next topic, uh, Federer came back as well. Uh, yeah, first match back since the Australian Open first. Tournament back, he made the quarters. He played well. He ended up getting beaten by Joe Wilfred Songer. No shock there. Songer's a very good clay quarter. Yeah, yeah. Um, Songer, of course, was then beaten by uh, Monfils in the semi. And look, Vesely was trounced in his next match. It's one of those ones where you can slay these shots, yeah. but it's often hard to back up. But look, oh, yeah. encouraging signs for him first up. I don't think he's going to be necessarily affected deep in the French though. But we'll uh, we'll discuss Who's it. Federer. No, I think we'll discuss that closer to the uh, to the Open. <laughs> well, it's a big call. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about what happened in Brisbane. Now, Australia playing the US for a chance to come back into the world, world, well, the T one of the Fed Cup. Yes, uh, the Americans were without their three top ranked singles players, the Williams sisters, and also Sloan Stevens. Yep, Australia had Dasha Gavrilova debuting, Casey Delacqua, and Sam in terms of the doubles and riding over around with that. But really, I thought on clay, a strong chance. It didn't yeah. go to plan. No, it didn't go to plan, and um, you know the whole the whole clay thing was centered around Stoza, I suppose. Um, and you know she's touted as a, you know one of the best clay quarters in the world. My um, my opinion is that it's almost too much so. You know um, that she's um, you know with her with her kick serve and her heavily spun top spin. You know she's they're fantastic shots. 
but I think there's not a lot of variety there. I think um, she's too easy to read these days and, and needs a bit more variety in her in her play. Okay. Um, she, I mean, she she competed really well. No doubt. And look, and, a, quick, a quick recap of the results. Dasha got beaten first up by Madison Kesey, yes. number one in straight sets. Sam had a real, real, I suppose, tough clashing for Cena McHale. Yeah. And getting rolled in a tight three set, and McHale played fantastic tennis. Yeah. At the end of the first day, two love down. The Americans pulled the surprise. So Mary Jo Fernandez, the uh, the captain, pulled in Coco Vandeweghe, who's always performed well against Sam. Yeah. In place of Madison Keys, Sam started well again, but by the by the third, she fought back, got to five all, watched yeah. a smash. So two tight losses at home. Uh, unfortunate. However, is that where we are at with Sam? I mean, she's about to go under clay. She, yep. uh, it's her favourite favourite surface. But do we think the days, as you say, not enough variety to? Yeah, it's. I mean, and it's easy to be hard. You know, the you know uh, the media tend to be quite hard on Stozer. I suppose she tends to get a lot of bad press in Australia. Through, I mean, in she Australia, had, in Australia, definitely. Had just had a fantastic career elsewhere, but yes. yes. And, um, you know, I think the pressure gets to her a little bit. Her, her um, results in Australia aren't as good, as you said, as they are in Europe and, uh, and the US and, um, and around the world. And, um, look, I just, I just think that um, she's got a fantastic clay court game, but you also have to mix it up now. You know, it's not just, um, you know, grinding it out from the back. You know, you need to be, you need to be able to um, have more variety with the serve. I think she's got a fantastic kick serve, um, but she, um, I think, um, sometimes she, you know, she can employ some tactics. You know, um, serve volleying off the kick serve, or sure. or um, or develop, um, you know, a slice serve again, and, and a flat serve. But it, it just, all just set, just have your opponents going the other way on the serve. It also to be able to yeah, off and bump that forehand. Yeah. So for every, I mean, uh, Stoza might have in her mind. A first serve, a slice serve, and a kick serve. But watching it, it, it looks as though the ball's revolving relatively the same way, yeah. no matter in what. Yeah, in the end, you know. So it's yeah. So it's just um, one of those things. Um, so look, and I think um, uh, bit of news at the end. Look, she's uh, uh, post the French yeah, the she's a, yeah, Dave Taylor and her have had a long relationship. There was a brief period where they weren't together, but yep. at the end of the French, they're going to stop working together. Sam's based in the US, predominantly Dave's based in Switzerland. It certainly makes sense. But look, let's hope she finds her best form uh, in Europe in the next few weeks. Yes. The final, I suppose, uh, topic of discussion. Just Murray after losing the French, uh, sorry, to, to Nadal in the semifinals in Rome. He was asked about uh, what he thought about doping in tennis. Now, this has been a contentious issue uh, for some time. He won't go into it in great detail, but he certainly raised some eyebrows when he suggested that he had suspicions about some of the players he played about them finishing strong, more strongly. This prompted some criticism from Boris Becker, Djokovic, his coach, who said, "Well, you know, he has no proof. Why is he discussing this? You know, heavily critical of Murray for even discussing the subject in an interview." Others then interesting. Very interesting. In the days of social media, uh, well, in the days of, I suppose, internet. Very easy to go back to 1995. Becker criticised an arrival, Thomas Muster. Yes. Raising some suspicions about uh, his off-court, uh, I suppose, behaviour at a time when he was on the comeback. So a little bit hypocritical by Becker, you think? Hypocritical. Now, look, it's uh, it's a topic that's been bubbling away for, for many years. Obviously, we're in the age of Lance Armstrong. Uh, I noticed there's a, an opinion piece in the Washington Post today saying that Djokovic sounded eerily similar to Lance Armstrong when saying that 
after winning the Laureus Awards, he and Serena Williams won the Laureus Awards for Sportsmen and Women of the Year. Big day for tennis. Big day for tennis there. But asked afterwards, he said, well, tennis is clean. If there's no evidence that there's doping, tennis is clean. That raised some... Now, that's not to say in any way, shape or form that he has anything to do with it. No, uh, no, but it's it's about an attitude, maybe. It's about an attitude. And that's number one in the world. You know, Murray, Murray, I think, is brave enough to speak about these issues. Because he, because you know, um, you know, the the general consensus of Murray is that he is a very clean athlete. I think that's absolutely right. Works very hard. And, yeah. Uh, look, concerned and look, tennis shouldn't. Uh, I think tennis shouldn't bury its head in the sand. There's been some issues in the past. There's been some players test positive. We've had a US Open winner, Aaron yeah. Silic recently. Before he won that, was suspended. We've had Peter Cordy going back in Australia. Yeah. I think it's something that's going to keep bubbling away. It is, and yeah. It's becoming more and, more and more of an issue in tennis now, isn't it? I think so. And to try and you know, bury your head in the sand that it's a problem, not ideal. Let's move on to that, though. Now, Moving we talk, on. We talked about uh, your, you know, every week we have your coaching tip. Yes. Clay this week. Tell me about playing players with extreme forehand grips. Yeah. And so you see the ones that rip rampant topspin off the forehand wing. That's right. And, um, yeah, so, so we're looking at that. Uh, Clay... Clay really lends itself to to uh, players if they grow up on clay using a using a more extreme um, a forehand grip, which is called you know, a western grip, um, and um, you know to generate more spin because of the because the um, you know the revolutions of the ball when it hits the clay surface or an onto car surface it actually picks up pace. Um, and so what, you know when you're doing that, it um, it makes your opponent hit above their shoulder or out of their hitting zone. You know, hitting zone, uh, comfortable hitting zones between shoulders and waist. So more prone to error, harder to dictate the point yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and what I've, what I've noticed, uh, with, sorry, with a um, an extreme forehand grip, uh, when you move it around there, the, uh, the the contact point has to be higher for um, for a, uh, for an extreme forehand. So it's more more around sort of near to the shoulder. Um, is it is uh, comfortable for a player with a Western grip? So a way to play a person like that is to uh, again, you know, give them no time. Okay, try and hurry them. Yep. Yes, and also um, a way that uh, an opponent of the of this clay quarter could hit the ball is as keep it low to their forehand. So what heavily sliced or flatter? You mean? Yeah, flat. Oh, flatter. Like um, taking flatter the ball. And take the time away. Yeah, yep. take taking the ball on, on the rise and slicing it. Because um, you know, slice sort of slows down on the on the European clay a little bit. Doesn't give them a lot of pace, and obviously the the, the hitting zone for the um, extreme Western grip is um, higher, so it's very uncomfortable. And players with that grip tend to shank the uh, shank the ball. Um, the ball <clears throat> the ball tends to hit the bottom edge of the racket. So that's my tip of the week. Okay, I mean, let's just say you see those sort of players at every level in club pennant. So yes, such as the pros that have that Western grip. So that's one for everyone to take in, take note of. Australian watch. This week we'll have a look at Bernard Tomic and look only briefly, but he's back in action in Bucharest. He's the top seed there. He hasn't played since retiring at Indian Wells with the wrist problem that he's been complaining about all you know since the Australian Open. Obviously, caused the flare up at Davis Cup. Yep. Ended up not having surgery. Just decided that rest was the best option. Yep. I suppose the next few weeks is going to be interesting. Now, look, Clay is not his surface, uh, as, as you'll be aware, Paul, and you can probably uh, explain why in terms of. Yeah, he hits a hits a little bit flatter, and, and movement's probably not amazing. <laughs> movement's not amazing. Yeah, look, I think he won two of uh, two of eight matches on on clay last year. I think he's just returning. Returning will test out the wrist. Hopefully, maintain his ranking where it is. Yeah, 
and then, then obviously very focused on the grass, on the grass court season. Exactly. So let's hope that the wrist holds up well there. And and, and by the time that you know the, the tour comes around to the clay court season, uh, to the to the grass season, it's a very exciting time for Australia again because of Kyrgios and Tomic. Um, you know that their games really suit the grass, so it's going to be interesting to see going Absolutely. into the grass season. But Absolutely. Now, look, I suppose we uh, we're coming towards the end of our podcast for the week. Uh, Favourite segment of mine, tennis and popular culture, which. Uh, is one that Rowie discusses. You talk about Torben Ulrich. Who is he? Torben Ulrich is um, a musician, painter, uh, real Renaissance man, but also a former pro uh, back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he, he, um, his best results in Grand Slams were making it to the uh, fourth round of the French Wimbledon and US. So he can really play. He can play. He can play. Um, he was, um, he was uh, a very soulful man. Uh, used to used to rent courts at Wimbledon just to sit on the service line and meditate. Um, so you wouldn't see that these days too much. He's a man with your England club may not uh, presumably dressed in white. Yeah, pr- yep, dressed in white. They'd let him on the court if he was dressed in white. But you know, um, you know, his appearance is um, big, big, long beard, um, somewhat like ZZ Top. Okay. Um, and, why, and why are we talking about him in terms of popular culture? What uh, what's the link? he is the father of Lars Ulrich, the from drummer from Metallica. From Metallica, so from white, uh, from all white at Wimbledon to uh, the darker, heavier side of uh, rock music. Yes, yeah. So that's um, uh, that's about it for um, tennis and popular culture. And look, I understand that the Metallica like Lars actually was quite a handy player through college, but uh, yes, clearly made. Many, 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 many millions from, uh, from his man. drumming with uh, with Metallica. That's uh, it for the week on uh, on the line is out the tennis podcast. A, a great chat again, Paul. Uh, Thank you very much, mate. Remember, you can always, times. Yeah, look for us on our Facebook and on our Twitter and on our web pages. And remember, on the line is out. If it's all night, 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 if it's all